Welcome to the Activate CX podcast as we demystify and clarify the direction of CX. My name is Frank Rogers. I'm your host, and I help brands grow with better CX AI and self-service. So today our special guest is Leslie Olson, and we're going to chat about the expanding role of the CMO. Let's go. Listen, I know that everybody is hip to the fact that the world has changed a lot. In fact, tons over the last 10 years and maybe never more than the last four years in particular. So this means that the customer has changed and the role of the chief marketing officer, AKA the CMO has changed greatly as well. So today we're fortunate to have a modern CMO an enlightened CMO and a great human, Leslie Olson joining us. Leslie, welcome to the show. Frank, thank you so much for having me. It is great to be here. I'm excited to talk about this. It's kind of long overdue. I mean, we've talked about this maybe for uh, a couple of years and, mm -hmm. and here we are. And I think it's pretty appropriate time as well. You know, when I think about the CMO and I think about the role, you know, for yourself in the organization, you know, it's typical with marketing to talk about personas. And when I think of the CMOs that I know, they plus or minus work on a similar job, but they're all very, very different people, right? Yeah. Well, it's true. And I, because, you know, every person comes from a different place, has had different experiences, and I think has different areas where they just gravitate to naturally. And so, yeah, I mean, everyone's different. That's that's the, the joy of, of working in this crazy tech and marketing world that we have. <laughs> no doubt. Well, I've, I know that you're experienced, so you probably haven't been a CMO all of your career, but you've been a CMO for quite some time now. And so you've seen things change and maybe you could juxtapose a little bit of how your role has changed maybe over the last 10 years and then in particular over the last four. Yeah. Absolutely. So 10 years in marketing is sort of like dog years, right? <laughs> so things move fast. I also have always been in some form of technology marketing, which I think moves particularly fast. Now, the vast majority of that has been with B2B. So 10 years ago, I was in a marketing leadership role with a company called PS Print, which was part of the Deluxe Corp. So this was actually an e-commerce role okay. um, with web to print And that meant that our customers were mostly small businesses, graphic designers, small businesses looking to do business cards, brochures, that sort of thing. Back in the days when we still used business cards. And that was actually my first vice president of marketing role. And it was a big... A big step for me, I had spent most of my career in marketing, product marketing, product management, but this is my first like real full stack marketing role. Mm. Uh, and uh, not only was it the, the first marketing role that I had, but it was more of a GM role actually. So I, I owned everything that was customer facing. So that included customer service, sales, design e-commerce marketing, product marketing. And so for me, it was a big, it was a big job and one I was super excited to take on. Mm -hmm. And e-commerce was still, I would say it wasn't new, but it was still evolving rapidly. And so 
coming from, I had been in a fintech company before to go to e-commerce was a pretty big shift for me. And the world was very different. You know, everything was in the process of moving to be more digital, but there was still a lot that was not. I mean, again, the, the basis of PS Print was paper goods. So right. uh, business cards, brochures, postcards. And, and that was still a big market. And so I think juxtaposing that against where we are today, like I said, it's like dog years. It's like, it's like 70 years in terms of difference. And so you made this jump, right? So like yeah. you talk about, like there was this inflection point where all of a sudden you became a CMO, what changed in your world? Like what caught you by surprise when they said, Hey, Leslie, here you are, you're our new CMO. And you step into that role. Yeah. Did nothing change or did something become really apparent that something had changed? Well, I wasn't a CMO there. My first CMO role was not, um, was not a PS print. So that okay. was, so I, my first CMO role was about five years ago when I worked, went to work for Funbox. Okay. So that was my first CMO role. And actually, I think there's a pretty big difference between VP of marketing and CMO. And I didn't really recognize that at the time. Mm -hmm. um, it seemed like a pretty natural progression. But as I stepped into that role, back getting back into fintech, and this would have been summer of 2019, I realized pretty quickly that not only was I the marketing functional leader, but also I was a leader in the company, mm. which was a very different role and one that required a lot more, I would say collaboration across functions. Although, and I think this is what really helped me. That is part of my MO has always been to build really strong relationships. So fortunately this was like well within my wheelhouse and I was really comfortable making these relationships work and having these really candid conversations and building trust but that was that was really eye opening for me. How did that how did that change in in your view how people looked at you like were you treated differently by people inside the organization? Mm. I guess so. I mean, as much as we would like to think that titles don't mean anything, there there is there is a different perception when you have a C in front of your name and um, right. Like it's, it's just like, yes. I think, and, and yeah, I think to, to some degree coming in at a C-level role, I think it's a blessing and a curse. It's, it's a blessing because just having the C in front of your name brings some level of credibility. They're like, oh, well, this person must know what they're doing. Right. Correct. Um, but also there's a lot of pressure then to prove like, does this person know what they're doing? And so <laughs> it's like, it's this very interesting dynamic. And of course, in this particular role, I had only about six or seven months before COVID hit. And so, you know, I was kind of growing into this role of CMO, understanding the dynamics of this new business, rebuilding the marketing team, and everything came to kind of a grinding halt. That's right. Um, which was, you know, really shocking, as we all remember. I still remember packing up my laptop. We lived, we, we had an office in San Francisco. And I still remember packing up my laptop and being, oh, I got to put my keyboard in. And, and But I specifically remember, I will be back in two weeks. It was but, a hard stop. I, I, but, but what I said, but the, but the expectation was, don't worry, guys, we'll, be, we'll see you in two weeks. So like, don't worry about cleaning out your desk. Like, just just take the stuff you need for a couple of weeks. And so, and, and Funbox is a company that is an online lender to small business. So pretty quickly, I am CMO of a company that has to make some pretty tough, pretty mm. quick decisions about 
what we're doing with the business. Yeah. Uh, because the, the economy came to a grinding halt. We as a lender could no longer be extending credit the way we mm. had been. And all of our acquisition came to a grinding halt by design. Correct. Uh, we shut all of that down. So, you know, as we look at at the CMO, I think, you know, traditionally there's this viewpoint that the CMO is on the front end of the customer journey. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, how do we acquire clients? How do we activate them? Mm-hmm. And then it kind of gets passed off into sales and then customer support is out there to make sure that we don't lose them. But fundamentally with with how the world has changed so much. And now we have this incredible emphasis on CX and not that there hasn't been CX from the beginning of time, but, but this emphasis on, if you want to survive, if you want to be sustainable, I would imagine you touched a little bit on the fact that, you know, it's really important for you to have that connectivity with the other leaders inside the business and to be able to move across these departments. Can you kind of unpack that a little bit? Absolutely. And uh, interestingly enough, I was listening to another podcast this morning that I thought framed this pretty nicely in the sense that the CMO's job and marketing's job is to make the brand promise Mm -hmm. to the customer about the customer experience. So the, the marketing team is the one that's going out there and saying, this is our brand. This is what we promise to do for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the CMO's role also after that is to make sure they're working with all of the different organizational uh, pillars, all the other functions to make sure that we keep that promise. And it's so, so important. It's so important, I, right? Yeah. And it's tough. And it's it means, and rarely, and I don't think you necessarily want one person to be responsible for that whole experience because there are experts in different areas, but you want someone who at least is looking at it holistically and is mm-hmm. saying, hey, from end to end and really like in the circle that it always is like, how is it working? How is it not working? And, and really putting the customer front and center. Um, Cause especially it's funny when we're talking about what has changed in the role of the CMO, a lot has changed, but I would argue some of the most important things haven't changed hmm. like the need to be a hundred percent focused on your customer. You have to have the customer front and center always. Hmm. And it can't be conditional. It can't be, well, we'll put the customer first when business is going well, because sometimes companies do that. They're, you know, they, their brand promise is only as good as, you know, the, the happy everything's going well days. And so I think, you know, putting the customer first, making sure that you're understanding how they're experiencing you in every facet, and then working with all of your partners to say, hey, like, here's an opportunity for us to do this a little bit better or do this differently or do it in a different order. And I think that that is a pretty important foundational role of the CMO. Mm. I think that like, it's a good thing that most organizations don't have any friction between departments or any command and control structures Wait, or policies that can get in the- <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I was losing my mind rhetorically there, but it's, I think that that's a challenge. I mean, what you just talked about, I mean, it flowed so smoothly as you were explaining it and unpacking it. But I think that's monumental in terms of the ability to move across the organization to have that, this is what we say we are. And then the customer experiences that when they're speaking to a salesperson. And then when things go fakakta and they're talking to somebody in customer service, like all of a sudden the the brand representation 
doesn't fall off. Like it's there being reinforced consistently over and over again. That's a, that's a big job and it requires a lot of buy-in. It's true. And it does require trust. You know, a lot of companies as they're maturing, they do develop these silos and it's not by design. It's not with any like poor intent. It just happens. <laughs> and so sometimes the longer a company does that, the harder those silos become to break down. But I would say this is where the CMO has to use those superpowers of building trust mm -hmm. and building those relationships and being able to say, hey, there's a different way to do this. To your point, you don't want the customer to feel like they are being handed off from mm -hmm. one department to another. That's a terrible That's right. experience. You want that to be invisible to the customer. You know, it's interesting as we talk about the dynamics of, you know, fighting in the marketplace and then mm -hmm. fighting inside of your own space, uh -huh. you know, to make things happen. One very, very big trend that is still continuing is the fact that the CMO technology budget rivals, if not surpasses that of the CIO. And I would imagine that it takes two people that are, that have very well managed egos and a shared drive to achieve mm -hmm. to work together in this, because I can see how that could be a battle. Absolutely. And it shouldn't be a battle. And mm -hmm. frankly, I don't think marketing should probably be spending quite as much on the tech stack. I think you should be using the tools you need to do the job you need done. Mm -hmm. What I have found often is coming into roles you know, there will be very robust enterprise class tech stacks that no one on the marketing team knows how to use, right? And that, and that, <clears throat> you know, the only a, a fraction of the functionality is being leveraged. And so I think I'm of the opinion that uh, you should be very careful in how you use technology. And believe me, I'm a strong supporter of technology mm -hmm. and I want to use technology to be more efficient, to deliver a better customer experience and to make sure that there is integration throughout the, the company. And as it relates to the CIO or the other, you know, whatever tech teams you're working with, I mean, you have to be in lockstep and absolutely attached at the hip to make sure that the data is flowing appropriately across all the systems. Otherwise, it, you know, you can have the best tech stack in the world, but you're going to be pouring money down the garbage because it's not talking to anything else. So That's right. And you're not also getting the insights that you need to no. make decisions, right? No, absolutely not. So, I, I mean, I think that interesting, like that's one of the things that, that we have really spent a lot of time rethinking at C2FO, which is how do we get, frankly, with a lot of your help, how do we get these systems to talk to each other? Is there, are there missing pieces that is tying it together? Mm -hmm. uh, and then it, specifically to the marketing tech stack, we have gotten rid of some of the very expensive and very poorly leveraged tools that we had mm -hmm. uh, to, in, in a way that makes us more efficient and makes things work better for us. Yeah. That paring down is really an important task. That's almost just like a spring clean mm -hmm. that needs to happen on the regular. But I know for you and for a lot of people, you know, we're not always there on the day one that the organization was created. Yeah. So we, we walk in and we essentially inherit some technologies and processes mm -hmm. and culture. Yeah, we know that there needs to be change across all of these things. And 
you know, it's really difficult when you're in a business like yourself, you're fintech, mm -hmm. you're a SaaS business in particular. Yeah. And so your core technology grew over time and yeah. things got bolted on. By the time you get there, it's kind of a Frankenstein of technology that you're trying to now fight that battle as well. Like how do you affect change? And okay. you really have to pick your battles, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, for one thing, I mean, as everyone knows, marketing budgets have come under increasing pressure. And so, you know, how, how do we best leverage the dollars that we have? And are there opportunities to, to make those dollars go further is really important. And I, you know, I came into CTOFO, I think at a, at a really opportune time because there were other leaders that were also joining at the same time. So we were able to look at things through the lens of what's the best way to do this, not how have we always done it. And so yeah. that makes a that makes it's a lot easier, right? To be able to come in with fresh eyes and say, "Okay, I get it. This is yeah. what we have, but this is not the best way to do things." Yeah, when you have an, an appetite for change, mm -hmm. um, it turns everything on its ear, and things become possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we've made huge strides. I mean, honestly, when I when I started this company, and and again, a lot of these people are have have moved on, but we had very distinct silos. Marketing was only focused on the top of the funnel. Mm -hmm. And then marketing stopped and literally there was like this hard cutoff that then transitioned into the product and sales sort of like played around it. And it was, it was just so not optimal for the customer. And it's taken us a couple of years now to get the point where we are really at the point where we can have integrated customer journeys and mm -hmm. where we are thinking about what is this holistic experience of the customer's made aware of us. Oh, now they want to know more. Oh, now we should parachute in a human being. Oh, now they get their first look at the product. Right. And it's this, it's, but they they don't know that they're moving from one function to the next. They just know, they just know the delight of being able to do what we need them to do. That's right. It's interesting, you know, as you, as you talk about this and you can really see the fact that and maybe this is true of all professions that there's like an art and there's a science to mm -hmm. it. Would you say that the way marketing is today, would you say that there's still a strong part of it that is art, which is your own special je ne sais quoi that you bring to the table? Or do you feel more like a marketing scientist? So I think it's a really good question. I think it's different for every CMO. If you're asking me specifically, I think I play at the intersection of qualitative and quantitative. Mm -hmm. uh, I am a creative mad scientist, maybe, but it, it really starts with the customer. I think it is really important to have that depth of understanding. I it, like I expect myself and my team to be the undisputed experts in our customer. And we have a lot of different customer segments, mm -hmm. but within the company so that we can understand what they need and what their pain points are. And so we're talking to customers a lot. And those qualitative conversations, the qualitative research that we do is the foundation for how we think about the data that we want to look at and the data that we need. I think it really helps inform the hypotheses that we then test through data. And without that qualitative understanding, there's a lot of data that's really difficult to make sense of the signals within the noise. Mm -hmm. You don't you sound a lot there. like a data scientist right now, to be perfect. I'm not. <laughs> I, I, I wish I were. I mean, actually, like my life would probably be a little easier if I were. But I'm. It's. It is that intersection that is so. So that's where the magic happens. So where do you think the CMO role is going? Like, I think you've really demonstrated that it has changed, and the fact that maybe you were already 
kind of part of this technological movement with inside of the marketing team positioned you to be the right person for this next generation of mm -hmm. marketing initiatives from what you've learned right now what do you think is the next level of the cmo i think it is staying grounded in the customer mm -hmm. so i think that cannot change right um, i do not believe that any cmo can succeed unless they have deep deep understanding and empathy for their customer I think layered on top of that is continued understanding of data. And also I am super excited about AI. I'm, I'm a total AI geek and I am constantly looking to the team to say, Hey, how can we leverage this? Where can we test it? Cause I think not, you know, a lot of people think about it as, you know, it can, it's a great tool for efficiency. It can remove kind of the routine tasks, which I agree with hundred percent. But I also think it is this kind of amazing creativity boost because it just opens up your mind to a bunch of different things that you have never really thought about. And so it, it both frees up your mind, but also feeds ideas that, you know, some of them are crazy. You know, like they talk about the hallucinations and all that stuff. Like, fine. Okay. It doesn't make any sense. Whatever. But it's so freeing to, to have that, like, thought partnership mm. uh, that I just am so, so excited about. That's awesome. And I think, are you also seeing it in a way that it's also going to free up resources for you yeah. as well? Totally. Yeah. I mean, again, we're already seeing that on the, the content side of things. So mm -hmm. uh, we're, as an example, so this integrated journey work that we're doing requires us to totally reimagine the, the steps that a customer takes the messaging that we provide to them, the timing of that messaging, how it's delivered, what it looks like. And that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. And I have a pretty small team. And so we are leveraging tools to help us do this faster and better with a human involved, right? The human's always in the middle. That's right. Uh, but, but these tools, you know, probably take off 20 to 30% of the work. They do. And I think what's really interesting about AI and at least using it for content creation, like you're talking about is it's not necessarily based upon human beings having all the answers, but just being absolute badasses at asking great questions. Yeah. Isn't that, that like it is, it's, it's such a reward for curious people like you and I who just have all these questions and you keep asking them and no one says, stop asking those stupid questions. Yeah. <laughs> the AI doesn't say that. Like you can ask the question over and you can say, well, I like what you just told me, but I want yeah. you to unpack it this way for me now. And yeah. it is an incredible journey. And I, I like the way that you're seeing it. And it is truly, I think this is a, a demarcation line in human history and in customer experience. Yeah that we're going through right now. And, and like you mentioned, you know, people are concerned about hallucinations and things like that, but all of that can be damped down and moderated, you know, right. that, that is, that is now underway and quite literally it's the paradigm shift, which is going to make or break organizations. And those that are hanging on to a previous paradigm that say, well, I think that people, always want to talk to um, another person. And in fact, that's one of the mainstays of our organization. Like, I don't poo-poo that idea. I mean, I think there's some validity in it. And I think that there's some rightness in it. Like, you should rightfully be having that human connection. But at the same time, there are things that you don't need to be talking to people about yeah. that the AI can handle. And 
to the customer's point, they will thank you for it. Like right. you just save them time. Right. It's about helping figure out when and if a human should be involved. That's right. I actually am a pretty strong believer that not everyone wants to talk to a human being. I can assure you, I never answer my phone. <laughs> <laughs> especially if I think it's someone calling to sell me something. Um, but if I can do it without a human, maybe this says more about me than anything else. Like I will, I will. And so there are people, there's a segment of the population that's like that. But for the rest of the population, it is important to, to be able to read those signals, to say, oh, you know what? Now is the right time to get a person involved. Yes. And either that's reactively or proactively so that you can understand, oh yeah, this is it. This is, this is the time. That is so important. Maybe New Yorkers had it right in the fact that they're so preoccupied and hold on to the value of their time mm -hmm. so much. Like this is this is something that we're learning from that. That it's not a bad thing to value your time as you have more and more things that you want to do, not just things that you have to do, but yeah. things that you want to do yeah. that you can't get to. Like this is again, I think, a powerful moment. So I want to thank you for, this I think is going to be episode one, but I want to thank you for kind of breaking down, you know, your background and your history, why you're successful, where the CMO is going and where they will be successful. And I think it's super encouraging. Thank you for like all of your wisdom. Oh, well, thank you for having me on this wonderful podcast and I will happily come back again. Awesome. These are fun things to talk about. Let's do more. A hundred percent. And there you have it. The CMO role is expanding and they are at the leadership table with more cards, more at stake, and certainly more influence and understanding the customer is really their superpower, but now they have to reach out across the organization to gain consensus and develop a coalition of functional collaborators all along managing the tech spend as well. It's a lot. But what people like Leslie Olson, CMO Visionaries, at the helm inside of your organization, the CMO is now leading from the front. That is a big, big thing. And so for ourselves at Arroyo 360, we work with CMOs on the daily to help them drive and define a more articulated, clear, and executable CX path. And that leads to being able to find, buy, and optimize their tech spend and the tech stack in a way that's going to get them fastest to where they need to go and where they need to go. They need to get customers and keep customers. I think that's the name of the game. Listen, if you like this conversation, you'll like a lot more on the activate CX podcast, please go ahead and subscribe down below and like for this particular video. And we'll see you at the next one. Remember folks, if you want to be successful, let's go get it.